Can you make a baby that's too big? Like that truly is too big. So it's 1.7. So 9% of C-sections are due to suspected big babies, but 1.7 are born, only 1.7 are born larger than nine pounds, 15 ounces. Oh. But like, but but there's many women that deliver babies that Bigger are nine pounds. That. Yeah, like my, yeah. my husband was a 10 pound baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I've had yeah. a client that had an 11 pound baby vaginally and she was small. So I'm five three and she was shorter. So. It's just not adding up. Hey sister, welcome back to the Daily Mom Chair Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Trulove. And today I have a special treat for any pregnant mamas or anybody looking to birth in the future and looking for information on VBAC. Today I am interviewing Megan, who is a co-founder of the VBAC Link. We have had a couple of amazing conversations over the last couple of years. The VBAC's Link mission is to make birth after cesarean better by helping parents prepare and build confidence in their birthing choices. I am so stoked to have Megan on the podcast today. I hope you guys love it. Let's dive into the episode. Okay, Megan from the VBAC is here. I'm so excited to have her. She is your VBAC guru. Uh, Megan, (laughs) can you go ahead and just introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your education, experience, how you found your passion for this specific niche of the birth world and your drive to start co-found the VBAC link? Yes. Um, So as she said, my name is Megan and um, I am with the VBAC link and kind of how I should say this whole thing got started is my own personal journey. So with my first baby, I had a C-section and I thought that it could be an option necessarily or a an end result because my mom had C-sections and was told that she could never have a baby vaginally. And I'm very much like my mom. I have the same build, same everything. And then I also had the same OB that actually caught like delivered me. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Full circle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he was my doctor and, you know, I told him like, Hey, I don't really want a C-section. He's like, Oh, you shouldn't need a C-section. You'll be fine. And I was like, Oh, okay, sweet. So from that moment on, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a C-section. Like, that's just literally how my mind went. And I was young. Um, you know, I wasn't really educated. <laughs> Honestly, I just was going in to have a baby, like, like a regular mom, just like going in mom. to do it. Yeah. Like I had my baby bump app and it was telling me how big my baby was and what to expect. And I just, that's about it. Right. I just thought I was going to go have a baby. Um, so anyway, I, my, my water broke, labor was kind of starting um, everyone's like, oh, the second your water breaks, you gotta go, you gotta go. And so I rushed in. And um, when I got there, I was like barely a one, <laughs> like yeah. not really progressed. I was like, same. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, we'll give you a couple hours. I think we went into like, I don't even know, like 11 or midnight or something. And by like 3 a.m. or something like that, they were like, hey, we gotta start Pitocin. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started Pitocin. And I guess I, I wasn't prepared for what Pitocin was gonna bring feeling wise, right? And I, I just, I was not doing very well. And so I got an epidural, had a little bit of heart tone D-cell, which is super common after an epidural. Um, so they kind of started right there. Like, Hey, you might need a C-section. You're not mm-hmm. really progressed. You just had some D-cells. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, but no, he told me I didn't need a C-section, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway. And just a couple hours later, I had progressed to a three and like 80% effaced, which to me seemed really great because I walked in at barely a one. And they're like, no, make failure mm-hmm. to progress. Your body doesn't know how it can't. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go back for a C-section. And I was like, oh, okay. Ouch. So had a C-section um, after kind of realized that maybe I didn't really need that C-section. And maybe what was happening was actually very common for a first time mm-hmm. mom with premature rupture of membranes. Um, so anyway, I was like, okay, I want to be back for my second baby. I started learning about it and short story or long story short, I should say, I stayed with my provider, had a gut feeling like 38, 36, 38 weeks to change. And they didn't. And I had a repeat cesarean. He bullied me kind of bullied my Mm -hmm. husband. He pinned him in a corner and was like, Hey, like she's being really dumb right now. Like she's putting her life at risk. And anyway, I just, I lost all support and I wanted to do that birth, but never got one. Um, cause my husband wasn't super on board and anyway, walked down for a second repeat cesarean and it was healing. I watched it. It was beautiful. Like I watched it through a mirror. It was really oh, wow. cool. Um, and really healing, even though it wasn't the birth d- that I desired. Um, mm-hmm. I felt good about it cause I felt more a part of it. I didn't right. hear about the snowstorm that was happening the last <laughs> time, like the last time. Right. 
And um, anyway, yeah. my first, my first nurse that, for that tiny bit of the shift, she was a doula and something just kept like ringing in my head, like look more into it. So I'm in recovery, dog swollen, holding a baby, Googling how to become a doula. Oh my gosh. And it was like fire inside of me. Like, yep. you know, when you're like about to get pulled over and you can just like feel all that adrenaline. Yeah. That's how it felt where I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is it. So yeah. So I became a doula and started learning more about options after cesarean for birth. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to be back still. Like I definitely want that. Um, but I started becoming more passionate of um, avoiding undesired cesareans for my clients, mm -hmm. but also supporting my clients in cesareans and trying to help them have a better experience in their cesarean because I had a not so great cesarean experience and a beautiful cesarean experience. Same. So I really, yeah. So I really wanted to help full circle, whether they want yeah. a vaginal birth, whether they want a cesarean. And I wanted to help them know their options and feel supported because I didn't feel supported mm -hmm. with my second. Um, anyway, so we went on and had a vaginal birth and after two cesareans and it was, beautiful. that's incredible. It was amazing. I will seriously cherish it for the rest of my life. I'll cherish all of my births, um, really. And anyway, my old partner, Julie, she, the other co-founder, she kind of called me and was like, Hey, we should do this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So here we are, or here I am. She's no longer with the company, but, um, I love her every second of the way along this whole journey. And I'm so grateful for her for bringing me into this space so I could be here. So, yeah. yeah so, um, I did, I got certified through Dona international, um, the midwife's college of Utah here has an advanced doula program. So I have that. And then Julie and I wrote a, a course, um, yeah. on how to support people after cesarean, um, whether or not they want to be back or cesarean, right? Like helping them know their options, knowing what they're up against, um, and have been able to get that, um, ICA accredited. And so we wrote our own VBAC prep course for birth parents and for birth doulas and birth workers. So that that's is, incredible. That is where I'm at. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And we know Julie. Um, I, I, I say we, I know Julie too, from the last time I was on their podcast and mm -hmm. we did, I mean, we've been having these conversations for years at this point, at this mm -hmm. point. Um, I was, I, was I pregnant the first time that we talked? Maybe not. I think it was before I got pregnant because when yeah. I, before I got pregnant with my I second, like I was you were like asking a lot of questions about it. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm having a VBAC. And then once yep. I got pregnant, like with our whole situation, like I ended up choosing a planned C-section mm -hmm. because overall that was better for me. But mm -hmm. I think I forgot that you had a VBAC after two cesareans, which yep. is very exciting and empowering for a lot of moms that maybe weren't in a position to try for a VBAC their second time and maybe mm -hmm. feel like, they're kind of out of luck, but that doesn't yeah. sound like it's the case because you are V back two I times mm -hmm. or V back after two cesareans. So that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, so yeah, I have a list of questions here that I know I get all the time and I am not qualified to answer those questions. <laughs> so that's why I needed to bring you in to answer all of these. So the first question I have is, who is a good candidate for a VBAC? I know that like when I went in to go talk to my OB, they mm -hmm. kind of rambled off a list of things that would make you a good candidate or make you not a good candidate. And I just want to hear it straight from your mouth. Like, what do we need to know? Yeah. So crazy enough, crazy enough, almost 90% of people are candidates. Boom. 90%. Yeah. That's a big number. It's a huge number, but crazy enough not everybody will even be given the option yeah. like 10%. Ouch. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty low. And for those who actually do go on to have a TOLAC, which is a trial of labor after cesarean, um, to have a VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean, 60 to 80% of them will actually deliver vaginally. That's so, like really great odds. <laughs> it's really, really great <laughs> odds, which is kind of mind blowing because you hear people still say, Oh, I can't. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I can't. Oh, but I can't. Oh, but I can't. So let's talk about it. Right. So obviously there's such, such a high number of people that qualify. Um, you may not qualify if you have like placenta previa or accreta, they have placental issues, mm -hmm. um, that are not resolved by, you know, 39, 40 weeks. Um, so that is like a big one or like, um, like diagnosed issues with baby, maybe, mm -hmm. 
the the unforeseen things you know sometimes there are things that happen where babies have health issues or um growth things where um like organs on the outside things uh-huh. like that yeah where so like it's very really rare going to be safe it's very rare but yeah. it's it's really not going to be safe for your baby to be coming out vaginally, coming right? through the vaginal canal with an organ yeah. out of their outside body right of their body and yeah so it is it that is makes rare, sense but that would totally be a big disqualification or right. if there's some major medical problem with the mom mm-hmm. um there there may be discussion of hey we think a, a cesarean would be better for you um there's a lot of things that people will say make you a, not a good candidate let's hear them i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna kind of tell you all of them and be like but, 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 okay. But. Yeah. <laughs> so number one is if you've had more than two cesareans with a low transverse incision. So there's very little study out there on VBAC after multiple cesareans after two, like, so three, four, five and up. Um, there's very little. And if you think about it, there's very little, cause it's not happening. Very, yeah. It's not being offered. Right. 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 So some providers may say, oh, you've had three cesareans. You are not a candidate for VBAC. So maybe, yes, you have a higher, you have a higher increased rate of complications, mm-hmm. like uterine rupture, which is like- And the OB is not comfortable doing that procedure. OB is not comfortable, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you're actually not a candidate and you have right. no capability of having a vaginal birth. On our mm-hmm. podcast, we have people who have had- three, four, five. And we have talked to people that have nine. Now I wouldn't necessarily like say, Hey, you've had nine C-sections. You should definitely go for a VBAC. I'm not going to say that because yes, each cesarean you're, you're having a small increased risk, right? And sometimes dramatic, but it is possible. So just because you've had two or more cesareans does not necessarily mean you're not a candidate. It just may mean you have to find the right people Mm -hmm. to give you that option and that experience good provider, good team, perth location that supports it. So sometimes right. the, the provider supports it, but the location doesn't. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. Um, special scars may be a disqualifier for a provider, meaning um, so low transverse like this is normal. But low got, transverse, they won't be able to see you. So low transverse is oh, like the sorry. horizontal yes. bikini line. Yep. Horizontal bikini line, below the belly button, right above the pubic bone. Okay. Um, that's like pretty standard, right? Um, so a special scar may be one that is like a T incision where you look okay. down and there's like the horizontal and then it goes up the abdominal wall Okay. Um, or a J where it's got the horizontal, but then it has like a little hook um, on the side or on both sides or, you know, there's different ways that our incisions can can one be like manually cut open, but then two, sometimes if baby's kind of stuck down there and they're pulling then things can happen where our uterus tears a little bit more Mm -hmm. and it's called a special scar. So some providers might say, nope, totally disqualified. But again, there are people out there that do choose after finding their, the research and finding, you know, out what's best for their, their family situation. And they do, they do go on. So, but that could be a reason why a provider may say no. Right. Um, so previous rupture is definitely a, a contraindication of reason to go on to VBAC. Again, there are people out there, it's very small, very small. But if you've had a previous rupture, it may not be the best idea to go on and have a vaginal birth um, after cesarean, especially after that rupture. Um, big baby is another reason why providers will say, well, your last baby was nine pounds, you had a C-section, probably shouldn't have a, a vaginal birth this time because your baby's going to be too big. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think it is 60%. I'm going to see right here. I have my notes. 65%. So American Journal of Public Health says more than 65% of um, women diagnosed with CPD in their earlier pregnancies go on to de- deliver vaginally or vaginally. And I think it's six. I have my notes. I'm going to find it. Um, there is like a weight. Oh, it's right here. Um, 9% of C-sections are due to suspected big babies. Nine. So a big baby doesn't disqualify you for a VBAC. And there's a lot of times where it's like 1.6% is actually a big baby. Like, Uh uh-huh. 
right <laughs> actual big baby so um big babies they're gonna maybe be said you can't be back and you're not a good candidate but that doesn't mean you aren't yeah like that, that just like brings me back to like when I was having my first baby and mm -hmm. like I had I lost my midwife because I was I was a failure to progress and I had Pitocin and I had the epidural mm -hmm. and had all these things I broke my water mm -hmm. like basically everything I did cascade of intervention yes mm -hmm. and I just everything was just like failing for me and the OB came in he was like called in mm -hmm. and he asked me to push I had no idea how to push and I had just been in labor for 26 hours and I was tired. so exhausted yeah I'm tired and I was like mm -hmm. I don't know how to push like what are you even mm -hmm. asking me right now and he puts mm -hmm. his hand in there and he's like, oh yeah, you're never going to have a vaginal delivery. I talked about this mm -hmm. on your podcast. It was devastating. Mm -hmm. I like didn't hear mm -hmm. anything he said after that. Like I just, mm -hmm. I left my body and mm -hmm. my baby yeah. was six pounds. Like she yeah. wasn't a big baby. Like I made a baby that was like, should have come out of my vagina. Like it, I, right. just, I was on my back. I had an epidural now that I know so much about the pelvis. There are yeah. positions that are a lot more helpful than laying on yeah. your back with your knees pressed up against your armpits. Like yep. there are about a hundred other positions that can be helpful for making yeah. your pelvis seem a little bit bigger. So yeah, like, can you make a baby that's too big? Like that truly is too big. That's like 1.6% of babies are actually too big. Is that right? Yeah. So I just pulled it. So it's 1.7. So 9% of C-sections are due to suspected big babies, but 1.7 are born only 1.7 are born larger than nine pounds, 15 ounces. Well, oh. like, but, but there's many women that deliver babies that Bigger are nine pounds. That. Yeah. Like my, yeah. my husband was a 10 pound baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, I've had yeah. a client that had 11 pound baby vaginally and she was small. So I'm five, three and she was shorter than me. I don't know exactly how tall she was, but she was shorter than me. So it's just not adding up. It just doesn't add up. It right. just doesn't and add up. There's so, the thing is, is CPD. So CPD, can CPD you? CPD is small pelvis, oh, okay. right? So um, I always say it's cephalic, but I don't actually know if that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> pelvic disproportion. Um, it might be cephalic, I don't know. Cephalic mm -hmm. is what I call it. Small um, pelvis, we got you. And small pelvis is actually extremely hard to diagnose. Okay. It's given all the time. Yeah. All the time. So with my first, I was never told, I was told failure to progress Yeah, and, and, and fetal heart tones that was like hours and hours and hours ago. And other, other than that, she was same. Fine. Yeah. But on my op report, I had CPD. So why are, why, I just like, it, hello, informed consent. Like, can we know what we're being given? I had no idea, like the negative effects of Pitocin could have actually mm -hmm. impacted the baby's heart rate dropping. Like, and oh, but, yeah. But are you like, I had, I had a uterine infection from them checking me so many so times. Many I had a times. fever of yeah. 103, like during mm -hmm. my delivery. And I like, it was like, yeah. I just didn't know because I wasn't given the time of day, you know? Um, yeah. And like for you being written on your, on your thing that you had a small pelvis, you never heard that one time. So like, even if no. you're trying to make sense of what happened to you, you really can't because you're not given all the information. You're like, really what right. happened here? Because, yeah. because then you can't make educated decisions going forward because you don't mm -hmm. have all the information. And like, right. why not? Like, what, are, why? It's like, they're hiding it from you. Like they it, just are hiding it from oh, you. It was really infuriating when I wanted to go for my VBAC after two C-section. And I went and I requested my op reports, which is something I would suggest everybody do. There we go. Everybody, yes. no matter if you want a repeat cesarean, no matter if you want a VBAC, no matter if you even never have children again, it's really good to know what is in your op report. Mm -hmm. um, because again, I wouldn't have known that. The mm -hmm. funny thing is, is my second C-section, um, they told me that they're like, Oh, that's right. You will never get a baby out of your pelvis. Mm -hmm. They told me that too. And I was Ugh. like, what? what? So it's like devastating. Yeah. It's like such a, like, you're talking to a real human here. Like there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's a whole human behind this client, this client name, this inpatient, yes. you know? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, and then like, if I go down this list, right. Okay. So the other one is like baby not being head down breach, which mm -hmm. is a whole nother subject of and sad story of breach going away right and breach is just another variation of normal and it's going away so if, ba if babies breach they're just like oh c-section right mm -hmm. or if they can't turn up c-section um but yeah like um those are reasons why that people would say that you can't be back or because what you said like you have this and this and this and this and none of that works so your previous cesarean was failure to progress so you're unlikely to have a vaginal birth this time 
mm-hmm. right? Like that's another reason why people would actually say you're not a good candidate because of your previous right reason. Right. So yeah, there are reasons truly like, so I mentioned, um, you know, baby issue, health, um, maybe pelvis issue where say a woman fell off of a horse and shattered her pelvis. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Together. Yeah. That might be a good reason for a cesarean because there's a lot of trauma that happens. Yes. Um, I know someone, I, I know someone that had some serious back issues, like serious, serious back issues. And she, she, she couldn't, she couldn't. Yeah. And it wasn't because her pelvis, it wasn't because her baby wasn't too big or her cervix didn't work. Um, it right. was because she, she was unable to even move. Really. Yeah. Um, she was very restricted. And so, yeah, so she decided that was the best choice, um, for her. So yeah, those are some of the reasons why. Um, and then, yeah, kind of getting into that pelvis, it's, oh, it's really infuriating to me really infuriating because one, it is so hard to actually diagnose and it's given way too much. Three people believe it. Yeah. That's what, that's what gets to me is that it is sold yeah. and planted and then like locked in there in our soul that we believe that we cannot have a vaginal birth because our pelvis truly cannot let a baby out. Yeah. And then you hold that. I mean, you carry that Especially like moms are so vulnerable. Like we're so vulnerable that when we Mm -hmm. have our first baby and then to start Mm -hmm. to kick off this whole thing with being labeled a failure to anything and that your uterus and that your cervix doesn't know what it's doing. And you're like, well, damn, like this is not a good start to this Mm -hmm. journey. Like I don't already know what the heck I'm doing. And now Mm -hmm. like I've got medical records to prove that, you know, it's like all these things that just layer on your words, carry so much weight. Yeah. It makes us lose confidence in ourselves and our ability. And that's, yeah. you know, I made a post the other day on the word failure. Like there is no failure in birth. None, yeah. none. There's mm-hmm. no failure. Like if you don't, if you want this and you get an epidural, that doesn't mean you failed. Doesn't mean yeah. you gave up. If you want this, you have a C-section. Doesn't mean you failed. You know, um, if you decide a C-section from the beginning, doesn't mean you failed or took the easy way out either. Yeah, like, that's, a, I, that's hate, I hate that. Yeah, I hate it all. It, it, it just, it makes me mad. Yeah, and, and, and it's just like, yeah. it just we just need more support for moms. Like just, you just don't know their situation. Like you see somebody that, like I got so much shame from a birth doula about choosing a repeat C-section. She was like, you think that you're above laboring. You think that you don't like, you're too good to go into labor. I'm like, lady, like I tried that. And what's even like, I tried going into labor and like, it didn't work for me. And I chose my planned C-section for so many reasons. And reasons. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was out of the state. It does not matter. matter. What does matter is that there's birth people out there that are, that bring their, their own biases and judgments Mm. To a place yes. that clearly cannot have any judgment from any outside because it is the mom's experience and the mm-hmm. baby's experience and the family. Like the fact that your OB trapped your husband, like he has no idea what you're feeling, your your husband, mm-hmm. you know, like actually believing that you can do this and yeah. feeling like, okay, I have this power. I've done the education. Like I know. And yep. then for him to get trapped and then for him to bring that, you, he's just scared, you know, oh, yeah. and uninformed yeah. as well. You know, like that's just yep. all, so many of us, we just, we can't make educated decisions if we don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. And then we just believe the fear that's like pushed on us because we don't want anything bad to happen to our wife. We don't want anything bad, bad to happen to yeah. our baby. So of course your husband is going to be like, we need to Let's listen to this guy. C-section. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yep. And just like you said, like you didn't hear anything after he said what they said. I didn't feel another contraction after he said what he said and pinned my husband against me. I was like, let me just walk for another hour. I don't remember, like everything stopped. Yeah. My body went and held it in tight and I I couldn't, I couldn't continue. And so, yeah, yeah, there's so much. And, and it's hard. Like a lot of the times when birth professionals or even just parents out there um, have these strong hurtful they're hurtful they don't think they're hurtful but they're hurtful um opinions and biases and and they project them on someone um sometimes it's because they're passionate they're passionate about another experience yeah and I get that Mm -hmm. I love that they're passionate right but if I were to talk to everybody on my podcast 
and after they talk about their CBAC, right? Cesarean birth after cesarean and say, I cannot even believe you chose that. Why would yeah. you do that? <laughs> but did you not know? You know, <laughs> like right. that's not okay. It's not okay. Because again, they're not me. Mm-hmm. And just like you chose a, a cesarean, I chose a VBAC. We chose different things, but guess what? We're still wonderful and we had wonderful births and we had great babies and great experiences. And that that is okay. That is there's, okay. It's so okay. There's a million ways to be a good mom. And there's a, yes. there, you know, there's a million ways to be a good mom and we don't have to all do it the same. And there's no room for judgment when it comes to birthing babies because there's no easy way to do it. You just got to choose your heart sometimes. Chiming in, let's talk rituals. More specific, ritual pre and postnatal vitamins. I've been taking ritual vitamins for over four years. You guys know I have a code for you. It's True Love 20 to save you 20% off to try them out for yourself. It was the only prenatal I could take on an empty stomach that didn't make me feel nauseous, and it's the postnatal I've been taking since delivering my youngest. Why I love ritual is that they have traceable ingredients. They're all non-GMO, third-party tested, vegan, and nothing artificial. Their subscriptions are easy to start and easy to cancel, and their team of scientists and nutritional experts are on a mission to turn your new healthy habit into a ritual. The shipping is always free. You can control your delivery date, cancel any time, and there's a money-back guarantee. I love ritual. I know you guys will too. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, so exactly what you're saying. Like Everyone has their own right, own ability to make the best choice for them. And it is up to us as a society to support them and not question not question. Like I told you, it doesn't matter why you chose a cesarean, you chose one and that was right for you. Right. So, um, I want to kind of talk a tiny bit more on that CPD as well. Um, because sometimes we get that diagnosis or that label, um, because we actually have a baby that's in a wonky position. And this is for small pelvis CPD, yes. is small pelvis. Again, yeah. so we're looping back CPD, to this. small pelvis. Yeah. It, um, it, it can oftentimes reflect on what our baby is doing and how they came down. So sometimes they break your water, baby was high, baby was not quite in an ideal position, baby comes down, it's harder without fluid to rotate. Um, we're an early lever, so we've got a higher baby and less strength of the contractions to push baby down and rotate. And then they keep getting down further into the less ideal position. We've got an OP, which is posterior baby or an asynclitic, where, where baby's kind of tilting to the side. Sometimes babies come out with like little knots in their head, on their side of their head, or like little swollen spots. Um, or, you know, there's tons of other positions, but a lot of the times it's a positional thing. And um, it's really something that we need to work through with the labor to get a baby out vaginally versus your pelvis is actually just too small or your baby's just too big. Okay. And so that means like working through that with labor, that means like your doulas in there, like getting mm-hmm. you into different positions, massaging different the baby position. out. Like- yeah. Yep. Different positions, working with rebozo, changing it up using peanut ball. And sometimes an OB, if we've got an OP baby, which is an occiput posterior baby, meaning baby's back is against your back. So baby is coming out looking up sunny side up and so uh-huh. they don't have the normal head flexion to come under that pubic bone okay so it's a harder way to give birth it's it's not impossible but it is harder and there's a lot of c-sections that happen because we have a baby that's posterior but some OBs are comfortable in actually manually rotating okay you have to be like fully per, fully dilated but that is something you can ask for if you've got you know back labor and your coupling contractions and everyone's like oh this baby's op you can say hey when we get to that, can you help me? Can you yeah. help me get this baby out? Okay. Do you have, I have another question yeah. of who is a good candidate for a VBAC. I feel like you answered this. Is there anything else that you want to add to that question that we didn't touch on, on who is not a good candidate? Yeah. So whether or not you're being told you are or not a good candidate, I think it all still comes down to following your heart, doing your research, getting educated and having that support. Um, because again, like I said, like, there are extreme circumstances where there's a health, a baby health issue, a mom health issue, placenta issue, body, like actual body issue. Um, you know, it, that those are reasons, those are reasons and they're valid reasons. And that is okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, that, that resonates huge because for me, it was like mental also like the yep. mental, like load yes. of being stuck in the first position, like get like a repeat 
um, like a repeat experience of my Uh first, like trying to vaginally deliver was so traumatizing. And I'm like, I have another baby at home. Like, how am I going to manage the load and anxiety that I had coming home, like Mm -hmm. failing for my first vaginal birth Uh and the weight that that carried and then having two babies to take care of. And, you know, it, so like I made those choices like for multiple mental mm-hmm. you know, and like we're in a rural area and so they did kind mm-hmm. of stick me with the uterine rupture kind of mm-hmm. statistics and kind of freaked me out a little bit like that but also like the OR team is not on staff so if I try to mm-hmm. vaginally deliver and I have a rupture mm-hmm. they're not there to like do mm-hmm. the c-section they have to be like called in from the country to come in mm-hmm. to do the c-section and like yeah. do I really want to risk that because for me it was for me at the time choosing a VBAC before I got pregnant with my second it was more pride I was like, mm-hmm. that OB told me I was never going to deliver vaginally. Uh, uh-huh. I will deliver vaginally. Yeah. And then I got pregnant and I was like, whoa, my mom is in California. I'm in Oklahoma. Who's going to watch my baby? We've never left our toddler alone with anybody. And it was just literally, we left her alone for 36 hours mm-hmm. with my mom and my sister. They had to fly in. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't take the risk of like going into labor. It was during COVID. Like Bradley yeah. could have come in with us. It was like all these yeah. things. And so moms have to make tough decisions and like, yeah. they're tough, whether somebody thinks that they're hard or not, that you mm-hmm. are taking the easy way out. Like mm-hmm. birthing is hard, no matter how you do it. And if you have an easy way to deliver a baby, please share with the class because <laughs> last time serious. I checked, no, no easy way out. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, no easy way out, no matter the method. But I love that you mentioned that because say all of those boxes are checked. You're like, nope, this, 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 and this, I am a great candidate, but mentally, I don't think I want to go there. And Mm -hmm. that is okay. So I love that, that you mentioned that. And I love that you have, like your courses help support moms that choose that as well. Because Mm -hmm. for me, I didn't even realize that there was birth people out there that were like so biased and so, so hateful. And Mm -hmm. I to like receive that type of like public hate and they like, reached out to companies that I was working with. They were, they were literally, she was literally blasting me all over the place. And I'm like, I literally just said, I'm choosing a, B, a, a, a C-section for myself. Like yeah. I, I like, didn't tell everybody to do it. Like I, I like yeah. could not understand. I was like, there is so much controversy around this. Mm-hmm. And now I haven't stopped talking about C-sections like since then, because I know it's, it's a need. Like people need to see that represented as well, because there are so mm-hmm. many reasons why you choose different things, but yeah, for the people that you know, end up in either situation. I love that your, your courses and your um, offerings for people that are birth supporters get information on both of those things and how yes. to do it in a very supportive and helpful way. Yeah. Well, right. and it, it debunks all the, the crazy myths out there, but it also really makes it so you can make the educated decision that's mm-hmm. best for you. And yes. we're going to go over, it is not just feedback. It is not like this, 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 this. It is both cesarean and VBAC. It's the history of cesarean. It's the history of VBAC. It's the pros and the cons of why of both. It's the, um, you know, contraindications, the, all the things, how to navigate through it, how to have a good cesarean, how to have a good VBAC, you know, how to cope if you don't get your VBAC, how to cope cope and how to help your family support, you know, your decisions. So yeah, it's, it's so hard. Like my mom, she was not happy that I was going for a VBAC. In fact, I honestly kind of hid it from my family for a long time because I didn't want the repercussion of them, you know? Yeah, no, um, and that. then when I made the decision to birth out of hospital, I was like, really not telling them. Yeah. No, no way. Because I didn't, you know, and my mom, when she found out, was livid. Livid. So, told me, so told me some horrible things horrible things. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I need to support. I need support. So whether you're a birthing parent where you're, whether you're a birth worker, support those around you, listen, love them. Don't feed your opinion. They don't want your opinion. They Mm -hmm. just need your love. Right. Are you gonna make me cry? Okay. (laughs) Are you talking to me? Okay. Okay. Next question. Um, okay. How can you best prepare for a VBAC? Is it mindset? Is it physical? Is it positions? Like we all know that the Pinterest worthy nursery is not what we all need. Like what do we need if we want to have a VBAC? Yeah. So, um, how to prep. There are many ways. Um, sometimes the, the direction of how you prep is going to differ depending on like what you are and what you need and who you are. Right. So, um, Sometimes it is actually processing your past, pre, you know, 
first, like Huge. actually processing yes. it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people are like, I don't need to necessarily process first. I need to find that supportive provider. I need to find that supportive team. I need to find that doula. I need to talk to my husband or my birth partner, you know, like, so um, I'm not going to tell these off in like any particular order, but here are some ways that you can prepare, prepare mentally processing and really processing, not just being like, okay, I failed. Well, I'm not going to fail again. It's like really breaking it down, peeling it out. Like, like an onion, like there are many layers of processing and some of them are kind of superficial and you're like, oh, well that happened, but it really wasn't that big, but of a deal. But then some of it's like a really, really big deal. Right. Um, so you have to peel those off and process them. Also, you want to process with your birth partner mm -hmm. because your birthing partner likely has processing to do as well. Mm -hmm. And if you can process together, you're going to be stronger together and they're going to really understand your why, Yeah, your why yeah behind whatever you decide. So processing, feeling confident after you process and feeling confident comes with education, really mm -hmm. prepping, knowing the actual risks, having that supportive provider, not a supportive provider that, um, or you say, I should say, here I am with quotes, right? Um, air quotes, a supportive provider says, oh, you can try. A supportive provider is like, okay, I see why you've had a cesarean and you know it's good to know, but mm -hmm. this is what we're gonna do differently this time to help you get this feedback and want your feedback just as much as you do and really support it and feel comfortable. You mentioned earlier, like some providers don't feel comfortable yeah. and they'll say, oh, you could go. Yeah, sure. It's fine. But like, don't truly feel comfortable mm -hmm. um, with any, everything. So hiring a doula, um, physically like staying active, mm -hmm. um, good nutrition. I mean, but staying active and good nutrition, that is a big deal for anyone having a baby, finding right. a good supportive, um, supportive provider is good for anyone having a baby processing previous traumas. Right. It's like, it's so talked about for VBAC, but this is really like everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> everything. I mean, trauma is in the eye of the beholder, you know, and yes. one thing that's traumatic for some like aren't, is not traumatic for others. Right. And that's why it's hard to like, you don't always have to, um, relate to somebody's trauma you just and like you said you just have to listen and just validate yeah. what they're experiencing because yeah. we know trauma can also be something that is something from our childhood like you yes. or something something else we experience has nothing to mm -hmm. do with birthing and you know your husband or your, your birth partner or your friends or your other mom friends might not understand or mm -hmm. they don't need they don't need to justify like yeah. why your trauma is trauma and I do you have any um tips on like how to start I know like specifically for birth trauma, like how to start processing that. Is that writing yes. out your birth story? Is that, mm -hmm. what does that look like? Yes. So if you've had a previous cesarean, I mentioned earlier, getting your op reports yeah. and learning what was documented about you. Um, warning, it can be very triggering. It mm -hmm. can, yeah. but it's kind of the start of mm -hmm. letting it out. Right. But yes. Um, so getting your op reports or, you know, knowing what they said, but yes, writing your birth story is a first step and it's important to try and, and write down exactly how you remember it exactly. And even in parentheses, what you thought, if mm -hmm. you remember, I was thinking this or whatever. So writing it down, reading it silently, reading it aloud, and then having someone else read it to you. It's weird, yeah. but having all of these different ways of hearing your story, you're going to pick things and you're going to learn what you need to process. And so yeah. in all of these steps, write down what stood out to you. Mm -hmm. And then that's what we need to process. Yeah. So whether we need to talk to like professional health ther therapists, which there are a lot of birth trauma therapists, um, that is a start, whether it be talking to your significant other, whether it be talking to your best friend that can totally relate. And you know, they're just going to be there to listen. Um, those are really good ways. And then there's another, um, way that you could do is actually find the information. So sometimes it's a situation that's happened to you. And sometimes it's something that was said to you. Like for mm -hmm. me with my second cesarean, I was told it's a good thing. You didn't have a VBAC. You would have ruptured for sure. Ouch. Gosh. Yeah. Oh really said that. So how yeah. do you think, so I thought I processed this even before I be back with my, with my third, but it still came up in my head. I'm like, Oh my gosh, he said it was an eruption. Like it was in my head. Right. Of course. So it's really hard to, it's always, it's sometimes really hard to let it go, but try your hardest. And so writing it down, finding the, the facts and the information um, and burning it, like writing it down, 
and watching it burn and be, and then filling that with a positive affirmation. Okay. So I for sure would have ruptured. I, I'm burning it. I know the rupture signs. I'm going to watch out for them. And then I'm going to keep going. If, yeah. you know, if I don't see those, if I do see those, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to accept this journey and I'm going to say something. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Or my body cannot dilate. Well, it is really rare for bodies not to dilate. This is the reason why I didn't dilate last time, right? Like it it just is feeling it, feeling with positive affirmation. So those would be some of the ways that you can, but I think processing um, and learning, I love the writing it down, reading it, saying it out out loud and then hearing it. It's excellent um, advice. And I've never had somebody read my birth story, but I'm sure like listening to my husband read the birth story that I wrote, I'm sure that would bring me to complete tears because, Mm -hmm. you know, he has a, which I haven't written his birth story. He didn't write his birth story from our Mm -hmm. first experience, but it was a lot for us. Um, And I'm sure that he would feel some type of way to reading my birth story. So that's great advice. I love the idea of like, and that's what I've taken on for myself too. Writing my birth story, I've done that for both my kids and being able to digest what happened mm-hmm. and reprocess what whatever is triggering in those experiences and giving it new meaning and giving mm-hmm. it purpose like I mm-hmm. I don't think that I'd be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't have a traumatic birth experience with my first you know? um same I mean yeah. I was going to become a labor and delivery nurse like I love birth like I had a passion for babies um but I don't think I would be here right now uh, like what a purpose like, yeah what purpose like what an immense Mm-hmm. an immense purpose that you've been given due to this like traumatic thing. It was truly traumatic and you've been able to reprocess it. And now yeah. you're putting out such valuable information. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And that's, I feel like, yeah. you know, that, that can come from any traumatic experience, you know, if you're willing to go back there, which can be very hard. It, yeah. And another thing I want to, I want to point out is it's okay to take time. Oh yeah. There's like no timeline. There's no timeline. No, no timeline. And everyone's going to be different. And, and so, yeah, so don't expect to just jump right back into it. And then some people are going to, and that's okay too. Like, you know, when you said you were looking up um, your birth doula, like as you're holding your new baby. So my husband recorded my second C-section on the phone, literally Mm -hmm. as soon as we got back to the room, I watched it because they wouldn't (laughs) let me have a clear like drape. Uh, And so like, I'm holding the baby and I'm watching them cut into my belly, like, and watching, I'm like, this is literally the coolest thing I'm ever watching right? in my entire life. Cause I missed it ah. with my first. Yes. And, and now I just love C-sections and I love moms and birthing and like all the mm-hmm. things, you know, and uh, vaginal delivery isn't something that I've experienced, but being able to be a part of my C-section because my husband got to videotape it and they were so welcoming about it, like letting yes. him videotape it. amazing. Just yeah. It was like, I, I, I know it was like, such a gift to be able to watch it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I cannot believe you're watching that right now. I'm like, you have no like, idea this like, how exciting this is for me. Um, yeah. yeah. And I loved watching my, I, I wish that we could have recorded. We have some pictures, but I wish we could have recorded it, but watching it like live in the mirror, like it was so, I think that was one of the biggest things that was so healing for me. Yeah. Cause I felt a part of my birth. I truly uh-huh. felt a part of my yes. birth. Yeah. yeah. Totally resonate with that. Yeah. Um, Okay. How long is recommended to wait between pregnancies to have a VBAC? This is a question that was sent in also. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are some different studies on that um, and they're kind of still small studies. So some providers will say 18 months, some will say 24, and some will say there's no different after six months, but typically 18-ish months is good um, to allow your body to heal and everything to recover and your incision to be stronger. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is even just like in general, like pregnancy in general, go through a lot, our bodies go through a lot, but now we have this added incision. And so, yeah, anywhere between like 18 to 24 months, but again, um, it's super personal preference. We have a blog all about, um, length between cesareans with some of those studies as well. So I can send that over to you. Oh yeah. Send me that link and I'll put that in the show notes too, because I know there's moms that are getting pregnant before. Like I have so many people that reach out Mm -hmm. and they're like, I'm pregnant. Like Mm -hmm. I have a 10 month old at home. Like, what do I do? I'm like, you're going to do it girl. Like you are, it's still going to be okay. You're still going to be okay. You know, and there's all these 
guidelines and recommendations are like just recommendations. Like but things happen, exactly. you know, exactly. or you They're want them to happen. Yeah. It's just like you, you, everybody is different. And, um, like you said, also the, the studies are limited on so many of these topics. It's hard to make hard rules. There's always an exception. And so that's something and- to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and one provider will say one thing and another provider will say the other. And so it, if it's varying that much, mm-hmm. it just goes to show you like, do what's best for you, yeah. find the research and get like, get the knowledge, but then mm-hmm. ultimately like pick what's best for you. Yeah. Right. And I think like finding the right support is like with anything, like do your research sure. on the people that are going to be supporting you because my birth team with my first and my birth team with my second were like from different planets. Like yeah. my second yeah team was literally they were like angels I was like where have you guys been like this is it it was incredible and it's so incredibly healing and my first I was like you guys just put so much birth trauma into my mind and my heart and my soul and like this is it's so different you know um so yeah just something to keep in mind is studies are you can honestly find studies that support both sides on like whatever topic absolutely that's the other thing is like just don't listen to one one like look at all of the information make a mm-hmm. uh, an educated decision and then also you have your own input because of your experiences and your situation your and like intuition all yeah your yeah. intuition yeah which is why we why the course was created is here it all is because also when I was preparing it was really hard to debunk all the oh yeah stuff so we wanted to create this course where it's just all in one place yeah here they are it's very evidence-based um I mean, it's all right there together. And it's so the wild exactly west out there. Right. It's hard to like go through all the information. It is oh, literally the wild, wild west on the internet, it's on social media. It's really like, hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate the collection of evidence-based support and then moms can make yeah. their own choices. And yeah. then, you know, whatever happens, like you're supported in, in the ways that you need. And I think that's so important. But when you're choosing a provider, yes. what types of questions should moms be asking their OBs? Like, how do you know, like, okay, this probably isn't the provider for me. I don't really feel supported. And because you also mentioned, like, if somebody says, oh, yeah, we can go ahead and try that. You can try that. And then in the back of their mind, they know they get to make the call. Like, you're going to have a C-section anyways. I'm going to let you labor for five hours. And then and then we're having a C-section. So, like, what are some, what are, like, your top questions to ask your OB? And then, like, what are the red flags? Like, maybe I need to go see somebody else. Yeah. Great question. Loaded question. (laughs) Very loaded question. So I'll try not to take up too long. Um, Okay. So some questions. First of all, I want to point out um, one thing right away is never ask a yes or no question. Never. Don't say, do you support me back? Mm -hmm. Anyone can say yes. They can also say no, of course, Mm -hmm. but anyone can say yes. Don't ever say, do you allow me back? Yes or no. It's always open-ended questions. What are your thoughts about VBAC? About V about feedback? Um, what are your what are your thoughts? What have you seen? Mm-hmm. How do you support VBAC? Right? So you want to really dig into them, like make them give you a full answer. Yeah. Um, so what risks do I have for VBAC? What risks do I have for repeat cesarean? So they're literally starting to, we're opening the conversation, right? Right. If they say there are all these risks for VBAC and there are no risks for cesarean, that's a big problem right there because there are risks for cesarean and there are risks for VBAC. Right. And those can be different risks, but there are risks for both. So um, really having a discussion. So some of those questions are, are going to be ones that are going to help you get an idea if your provider is going to be supportive. And um, some other questions are, do you induce feedback? Now, this is going to be a yes or no question followed with a more elaborate okay. question. So yes. Okay, you do. How do you? How do you induce feedback? You don't? Okay, well, evidence shows that induction is totally safe for feedback. Um more than likely, you know, depending on your situation. Uh, so why don't you, why don't you induce for feedback? Um, and if you're not, are, are you comfortable or not? You know, um, so that goes could be reasons to maybe not go with that provider or switch for that provider, because um, if they're not following evidence-based care, that could be a problem in labor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so some of those questions you can, you could talk about third trimester. Um, so I'm going to kind of go into actually some of those red flags because this is where these are going to go into. Um, 
early on, say you've chosen a provider and you're like, yeah, they answered, they checked all the boxes. They answered them really well. I'm feeling really good about this. And then early on in your pregnancy, they're going to say, Hey, so we're looking at this due date. Why don't we a week before at 39 weeks schedule an, a C-section just in case mm. that's going to be a red flag Okay, that your provider may actually not be continuing to be on board as though they were saying in the beginning. And again, they may say like, we don't induce and we have, have a scheduled cesarean and maybe that's okay with you. That's okay too, right? So just because one provider doesn't answer all the questions that would categorize them as a feedback supportive provider doesn't mean you can't go with that provider. Mm-hmm. You again have to follow your intuition in your heart. Yeah. And again, ask your question to yourself. How much do I want this feedback? How much do I want to have to fight? Mm-hmm. Right? Because when you're in a birthing situation, you're not in a position to fight. It's really hard. Um, so yeah, so late third trimester, Say you've got this provider, they've been seeming really great. And now all of a sudden they're like, okay, so next week we're going to do a growth ultrasound. We're going to see how big this baby is. That is a red flag that a provider may be changing tune and that isn't going to be as feedback supportive um, or saying, okay, well, we've got two weeks until we have to induce you because you're 39 weeks or you're two weeks out before we have to schedule a cesarean because you haven't had a baby yet, those types of things. Or if at 38, 39 weeks, they're checking you and they're like, oh, you haven't progressed. You're probably not going to because you didn't last time. So you're probably not going to be able to have a baby. Okay. So yeah. What if, um, what if you're 40 weeks and I mean, can you be like too late? Like, is that like a real reason for a cesarean? I feel like babies like come when they're ready. Like we don't actually know like when babies were conceived, like to the days, most of the time and like sizes are like Mm -hmm. general when they're looking at ultrasounds, it could be a week off. Well, and that's like my thoughts. Like those are my, my personal thoughts. I'm like, I feel like some, you know, they just, I don't know. I don't know. Like, well, and some bodies carry longer. Yeah. Some some babies, some bodies carry until 41 weeks, right? Like I have a client right now. She's not a previous cesarean, but her first baby was delivered at, or she gave birth at 38 weeks. She's now 41 at five. Yeah. You know, and still going. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so statistics show that stillbirth, um, chances raise after 42 weeks. And there are reasons to be concerned after 42 weeks, um, that baby is still inside and we may want to induce, right? Okay. So can you go over 40 weeks? Yeah. Happens mm-hmm. all the time. Happens yeah. all the time. But a lot of the times providers that aren't supportive won't allow that. Right. So that's something to watch for, um, talking about the size of your baby. Oh, you're looking pretty big. You might yeah. have a big baby. We should probably just schedule a C-section. Um, and just overall expressing doubt in you, right. You know, that, yeah. those are going to be red flags that you may not be with the provider you thought you were with. Mm-hmm. And I want to say this, and it sounds scary, sounds really scary, but you can change your provider at any time. Yeah, that is, it could, labor. it could sound scary, but it also sounds really empowering. I feel like we don't know that we can say, I only want one person to come in my room. I want to change a nurse. I want to change my, you can advocate for yourself yep. whenever you want. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. my last question was about mamas advocating for themselves. And like, and like we talked about in the beginning, we both got a bunch of things that we didn't really want and maybe we didn't need, but we didn't know. And now we know. And so what can we do now? And I feel like that's like my, that's my last question for you is, and I feel like it's right in tune with what we're talking about is advocating for yourself. What control do you have? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, how much can a, a birthing person say, like, Mm -hmm. like how much do they have to say they, all of it. Yeah. All of it. They can say, no, they can say, I want to try something else. Mm -hmm. You can advocate and you can refuse anything that you don't want, or that doesn't resonate with you. It's hard to do. Yeah. Because so much pressure in hospitals. You're vulnerable. And we talk about, you know, advocating for ourselves and it is hard to advocate for yourself. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have that supportive team and that doula and, and having your birth partner on board because they can help advocate for you, but you have all to say. So if there's something you don't want, it's okay to say no. If at 37, 38 weeks, you're finding this providers maybe not in line with your desires, it's okay to change. You don't even have to say you're fired. I'm leaving. You can just go find that other provider, send a request to get your medical records and call the relationship good for what it was. And yeah. now you're moving on. You know, yeah. these providers, um, they are not going to hold the experience that you're going to hold for the rest of your life. Exactly. And they're working for you. Like we forget that. Yes. They're working for us and it is okay to say no. It is okay to say, you know what? 
I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but I want to know the pros and the cons to all of it. I want to know mm -hmm. my alternatives. Let's have a conversation about this. Don't let someone tell you what you have to do. Be a part of your birth, be a part of your birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like one of the biggest things for me was I felt like birth was happening to me yeah. and I wasn't being a part of my experience with my first. And I didn't like that. Like that just, hits home. That hits yeah, home. They were doing things without even telling me they were doing things. There was yeah. no informed consent. They were just doing it saying, we have to do this. We have to do this. And I didn't go to medical school. Right. I, yeah. I didn't know. I said, okay. It's so medical. Birthing has become so medical. It is. And it's it's not, like, it's not a medical yeah. event. But yeah. it, it doesn't have to be a medical event. Right. And a cesarean is medical, yes. Yeah. But it can still be a positive, uplifting experience. And it can be oh, still yeah. be gentle. You can still yeah. have so many things that you would have in a vaginal birth in a cesarean. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, You could totally advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, just with more, the more knowledge and education and information exactly. you have the more empowered you feel to make these calls yeah and then you feel confident in those choices and yep. you have you can make more confident choices moving forward and I think that's mm -hmm. just like the whole the whole takeaway here is like get educated so you can make informed get decisions educated. for yourself and advocate for yourself absolutely yeah. yeah yeah uh your number one piece of advice you would give to your past self as a first mom go educate yeah. I didn't do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I was very naive educating and, and learning more about my options just in whole, in a whole. Yeah. Education. So like, don't, don't set up the Pinterest worthy nursery. Yeah. You know, and I, <laughs> I had a Pinterest worthy nursery. I would say it was cute ladybugs and my daughter was ladybug. I mean, it was so cute, but like, yeah, I put so much more effort in that than I did for, for my big event that was going to happen. I mean, sure. we prep for a wedding. Right? Oh, yeah. We oh, yeah. a lot for a wedding. Yeah. We invest so much time and energy, but sometimes when we're having babies, we just don't. And yeah. I don't understand. Like, I had what? no idea how to push. How is that possible? You know, yeah. I had an epidural. I couldn't like really feel what was going on, you know? Uh -huh. And then he's like pushed. I'm like, huh? Like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, that's like, we, OBs should be like helping women know how to do that yes. moment, you know, and yeah. like, not everybody yeah. can have a doula, you know? And so it's like mm -hmm. figuring out what information do moms really need and getting that information to them in the yeah. most digestible, supportive way. And being patient with them because yes. it's, it's your first time. You're not just going to be like, oh yeah, I'm the best pusher in the world. It's going to yeah. take a minute, but like being guided, being coached, being loved and supported through that and being like, oh, versus being pressured and feared into things and like, yeah. you know, and doubted. Yeah. And doubted. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. What is your go-to mantra to get you through hard times? It's like a mantra, but mom style. Uh-huh. I love it. The mantra. Um, just, so one of the things for me is if you believe, and it was actually from Whitney Houston, I'm pretty sure it's called believe. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, I just told myself that the whole time I was in labor, if you believe, if you believe, and then you have to believe. Yeah. So I love that. But like, you know, you can do hard things and, um, I'm being faced, I'm given, I've been given this challenge for a reason. Yeah. Um, that's a hard one, but I love talking to like, okay, I'm being challenged for a reason and I have to learn from this. Yeah. And I feel like that can apply to so many things mm -hmm. in yeah. not just in birth, life. you know, but in yeah. life, in motherhood, yeah. in relationships, in business, all mm -hmm. the things. Um, these challenges, you know, if we can get to the other side, there's a huge reward and a lesson mm -hmm. to be learned. Um, yeah. It's like we were talking about before we started recording so many lessons, yeah. so, <laughs> so many, many challenges. Lessons. Yes. Um, okay, Megan, we are coming to the end of the podcast. Where can everybody find you? What are the tools and resources that you're currently offering for parents and for uh, birth workers also? Yeah. Where can yeah. people find you? So the vbacklink.com is our website and it's VBAC. So the VBAC link.com mm -hmm. and we yeah we have a um a course for parents that are expecting and wanting to know their options as well as birth workers we have a certification for those birth workers um and we have a web like a portal so if you're looking for a vbac certified doula definitely head to our website because we have a lot of them all over the world like even in different countries which is Incredible. really awesome yeah um so we have the podcast uh, it's called the vbac link and it's filled with 
a lot of birth stories, um, both feedback and feedback, a lot of birth professionals, um, chiropractors, all the things that can benefit you along the way. And you can learn. And I even suggest that for first time parents, because learn the options, learn the reasons why cesareans are happening. So let's lower the cesarean rate um, for those undesired cesareans and learn more how to avoid, you know, the undesired things. Um, so yeah, so we have that, we have webinars, monthly webinars, we have, um, our podcast or not our podcast, our Instagram, our Facebook, we have a private VBAC community. It's called the VBAC link community on Facebook. Uh, we also have a CBAC community that's private. So the CBAC community link community. So those are for parents who are wanting to be surrounded by people with um, like-minded uh, desires and learn more from their experiences and also heal from their experiences. Um, so yeah, we have freebies, we have resources, tons of amazing things. That's so great. Okay, I will link, I'll have to get links from you for all of those yeah, and then I'll put I'll those in the show notes. You. Perfect. And this episode is just packed with so <laughs> much education and golden nuggets for moms. And I get so many DMs about these topics that I know there's going to be, and I talk a lot yeah, about C-section. We might have to do another. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely do another. There will be a part two, maybe a part three. We'll just keep this relationship <laughs> going. go on forever. <laughs> we, can, we totally could. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily Mantra podcast. It's been my pleasure. It always yeah. is talking to you and uh, we will have to record again soon. Yes, thank you. It was an honor. Gosh, what a great episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Daily Mantra Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love you guys forever. If you would rate, review, or share this podcast with a mama friend that may need it. And if you do choose to share on social media, make sure that you tag me so that I see it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you guys soon.